Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mostly Weather Hall of Fame. Um, I'm Catherine Ross, Met Office Archivist, and I'm joined today by regular podcasters Claire Whittam. Hello. Jeff Norwood-Brown. Hello. And Doug McNeil. Hello. And today I wanted to induct into the Mostly Weather Hall of Fame a particularly well-known gentleman known as Luke Howard, um, who I think most of the people around this room will have heard of. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. He's got quite a grand title, hasn't he? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, Luke Howard has two two sort of... uh, names associated with him one is namer of clouds and the other is father of meteorology so uh, i think he definitely deserves a place in the in the hall of fame but i'm now going to try and persuade everybody else to agree with me um Sounds like a good starting point. The father <laughs> yeah, of meteorology. Father of meteorology. You're, you're coming from a strong point. <laughs> yes, I, I, I figured I might as well start off with somebody who was pretty much a shoo-in. Um, so, yeah, Luke Howard was born on the 28th of November 1772 in London. Um, and he wasn't a meteorologist. He was actually a pharmacist by trade. Um, but he was very enthusiastic. Um, and uh, in addition to being enthusiastic, he was actually good. Um, so, yeah, he became you know, an amateur meteorologist, a very, very good amateur meteorologist. And so was that a well-developed profession then, Catherine? Um, it, it wasn't. Uh, you're coming into the period, it's, it's the Enlightenment period. People are starting to get really interested in science. Um, and actually sort of relevant to this is the fact that um, you know, they've just gone, uh, there's the Swedish taxonomist Carl von Linné, uh, better known as Linnaeus, um, who went on, who around this time was uh, producing the classifications of plants and animals. Um, and it sort of kicked off that whole interest in starting to try and classify and be more precise about all sorts of different areas of, of science. Um, and Luke Howard sort of hooked onto this um, and his, his particular area was clouds. Um, and before that, clouds were thought to be just, just too short-lived to, to bother trying to name you. They just came and went again. So they tended to be sort of named after what they looked like. So woolly or buttermilk I've come across. Mackerel skies we still know as a term. So these are terms that existed prior to what we might think of as conventional naming. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, what you, uh, we've got a, a book in the archive um, which is known as The Shepherd of Banbury's Rules, um, and it's kind of a book of weather law, but actually a lot of it's really bang on accurate because um, it's basically his experience of observing clouds and weather and all that type of thing. And he'll talk about, you know, woolly clouds being you know, being a, a, a sign of hex or you know, towering clouds like a, like, like a tower of rocks um, is, a, is a sign of showers. Well, he's sort of describing cumulonimbus, you know. And so, yeah, these terms were sort of around beforehand, but they were they were kind of weather law, country type terms. And you'd get lots of different terminology for the same cloud. Yeah, so yeah, people understood sort of what the different clouds meant, but there was no one compendium, if you like. No, no, terms. there was, there was nothing yeah. precise. There was nothing, you know, no, no single term for anything, frankly. Um, and so you know, that, that had been going on basically since you know, people started trying to describe, describe the, the white fluffy things up there. Um, and then in 1802, following on from Linnaeus, you know, this sort of, OK, let's try and start classifying things. Suddenly you get two cloud classifications, you know, you know not a bit like buses. They all come along at once. Um, so we had Luke Howard in one corner and we have a gentleman called Jean-Baptiste Lamarck in the other. Um, and I'll start with Lamarck because he's the one that didn't last very long. Um, yes, there's a reason you're not inducting him into the Hall of Fame, I'm yes. guessing. Okay. <laughs> um, so Jean-Baptiste, uh, he actually got there first. Um, both of them published in 1802, but he published first. Um, and he was a Frenchman, and so he used French terminology. Um, and he had five classifications. Um, but, I mean, no one knows exactly why it didn't take off, but possibly just the fact it was a little bit too woolly, to use a slight pun, Um 
and just kind of too many classifications and French language. So you know, it wasn't accepted across the world as, as much or certainly not as much across all the European countries because he was using a single country language. Um, whereas Luke Howard came along, copied Linnaeus's idea and came up with Latin terminology. Um, so he had just three much simpler classifications, although he then had um, categories with compound forms. So you could sort of add them together and make more different uh, different forms from the same simple structure. Um, but he used Latin terminology following exactly the same structure as Linnaeus. And that took off from European scientists like that one because it was kind of they could all identify with it. And was Latin the language of science really up until that point? I think you could think of it as that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the the gentleman that that coined the phrase meteorology was Aristotle. Uh, he he, you know, things that literally met meteor or logos, something suspended in the sky, um, and so sort of Greek, then then Latin, you know, becomes sort of the other language of science, I suppose you could say, and is a commonality against, irrespective of what language you speak every yes. day, Latin yeah. is the one thing that pulls you together. With. Yeah, and the other interesting thing about Howard is he was a Quaker, um, and so he was very keen that none of his terminology should have any religious reference. So oh, that's another reason to use Latin, which again would then have helped across you know, Europe of that time when you have you know, Protestant Reformation, you have you know, very different structures of religion across Europe. So if you use something that has absolutely no religious bias whatsoever, you're more likely to have it accepted. Oh, that's uh, fascinating how it reflects on the society at the time. Absolutely. Which are the yeah. bits that kind of get lost when you dig back through history sometimes, aren't they? Yeah, you don't tend to necessarily sort of think about it within the context of Europe in 1800. And, you know, it was a very unstable world. Um, Is there any evidence that the two men ever met or had any connection before or after their work? Um, I don't know that there's any. Um, there may be, but um, they just they just seem to have both come up with it, and then Howard, you know, went forward, um, and it was quickly it was it was adopted by scientists, but also various poets, painters. You know, um, there's evidence, strong evidence, that Turner and Constable were were influenced by his work. You look at Turner before um, his book and Turner after his book, and the clouds are much more distinct, instantly recognisable. Wow, um, they're actually better described yeah, in Con- Constable is an absolute classic for it. You look at Salisbury Cathedral, you know, that's the real good one for it, but that or the hay wane, and you, you just look at the clouds and you know what they are. So you, you can see them, the naming of something and the description of something helping an artist actually represent it better, even though you think absolutely. the job of the artist is to represent what they see, but actually the idea of the cloud and what how it's forming or whatever, it, um, the, the preciseness of that description is helping the artist. That's amazing. You, you yeah. can look at a constable as, a, as an ex-weather observer, um, uh, which used to be my job. You can look at a constable painting and know what's just happened. You know that a cold front's just gone through uh, during the hayway, if you look at the hayway, and you can tell because he's got the clouds right. And he's probably one of my favourite artists because he gets the sky right, whereas other artists around the time were, were given impressions of clouds, but that you know, as a trained meteorologist, you look at them, you think, no, that, they're just not that's, geeky that's, enough. That's, that's <laughs> wrong, you know. So, but the constable, as I say, you know, with uh, Salisbury Cathedral and uh, and the Hayway, and you can you can see that it's post cold front. And uh, it's going to be showery, you know. So Yeah, and in fact, we've had people come to the archive and look at weather diaries and sort of look at the observations and try and pin down literally, you know, the exact hour of the day that he might have been sketching that because you've got enough detail sometimes that you can try and work that out. 
That's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and people have managed to do that then, have they? Um, I, they have with some, not with others. It all depends on how much we've got in, in the surviving observations from the time. Obviously, you know, we're well before the Met Office, so it's a bit chancy exactly what observations have survived from the precise location they might have been painting in. You're relying on, yes, a, a gentleman scientist having exactly, kept measurements yeah. in and his back know, Not everybody was as good as Luke Howard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, or in exactly the right place. I mean, I think, I think Luke Howard's diaries were used to try and pin down some, but you know, he's got to be in the right place at the right time. So Luke Howard was a keen weather observer as well then, was he? Absolutely, yes. Um, He took um, observations over 30 years and we've got all his diaries in the archive. Um, And uh, he took pressure, temperature and just visual observations of the sky. Um, And actually that then went on to be quite important because he published the first book on climate in a city known as the the climate of the City of London. Um, And he was the first person to pin down the concept of the urban heat island um, so you know, different differentials in temperature and heating between the countryside and, and the city. Um, he actually put it down to uh, all the coal fires burning close to each other in the city. Um, but he did spot that there was a difference, and he also pinned, uh, was the first person to identify city fog, or was no best known to us as smog. Wow, that's I mean, some really fundamental stuff. Yeah, I mean, you think of the urban heat island as being a relatively recent scientific concept, but I clearly what, that's I, not. I have um, climate skeptics online who who still think that we don't take the urban heat island into account when we're looking at sort of global temperature and and how it changes and the fact that it's going up they say oh it's all the urban heat island um you know the climate hasn't changed it's just that we've got more concrete and things now and and you know luke howard it turns out nailed this back in 180 something um so yes we do take we have known about it for a while so so luke howard um Thought it was something to do with uh, coal fires, and you're, you're, we, we now think it's not. So, oh, it's, what is it's, the cause? It's, 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 there's a bunch of stuff. I think it's a, a, it, it is partly to do with the coal fires, or, or to the energy in, in the system, and humans give out heat and all sorts of stuff. But uh, primarily, it's about heat capacity. So, um, uh, or one of the, uh, and also um, the amount of uh, energy that's released through moisture as well. So, um, so you've got a really different. Uh, the countryside is, is covered in plants, and um, the heat capacity is lower. Um, but concrete will store a lot of energy. It will store a lot of heat, and it will build up through the day, and then it will gradually release it at night. And that's one of the major things. So, and I suppose back then, brick does the same thing, doesn't it? So if you've got a lot of absolutely. brick buildings in a city like London, which I think would have been appropriate at that time frame, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. Then, then there you've got the the fires heating the brick the brick's trapping the heat during the rest of the day and into the night and, and the sun heating the brick as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and just you know just the cobbled streets all that type of thing it was just a more you know built environment we touched on smog as well in the previous episode where we did uh, uh weather and health didn't we and basically the the smoke particles just give um the water droplets something to cling on to so the the more smoke particles you have uh, in the atmosphere the the more um, condensation nuclei, as we call it, are available for for fog to to form. Um, so yeah, he also uh, he, he influenced the poet Goethe, um, who's a particularly well known German poet, um, and you know, he actually wrote an entire poem about Luke Howard, which was quite a thing at the time. Um, you know, he sort of you know, but Howard gives us with his clear mind the gain of lessons new to all mankind, that which no hand can reach, no hand can clasp. His his fist has gained first held with mental grasp, defined the doubtful, fixed its limit line, and named it fitly. Be the honour thine. As clouds ascend, are folded, scatter, fall. Let the world think of thee who taught it all. That's brilliant. And for somebody that wasn't actually, you know, a meteorologist by profession, to have, you know, 
a very famous uh, poet writing something yeah, about you and yeah. you know immortalizing you for the rest of history is yes it's pretty incredible impressive, i think um, he then went on to write the first textbook on, on meteorology. He wrote a book called Seven Lectures in Meteorology. So it's kind of, I think, why he gets that name, Father of Meteorology, if he's even actually writing the first textbook on the subject. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, his cloud names are still in use today. I think that's, you know, that's the kind of the, the big thing that you know, we ought to you know, think about finishing, you know, finishing on is kind of, you know, we still use a lot of those terms. There's, there may be base terms. Well, his, his core terms were cirrus, cumulus stratus and then a couple of compounds cirrocumulus cirrostratus uh, and cumulocirrostratus velnimbus which Ooh, he later went on, on to call cumulonimbus ah, that's better <laughs> so we know that stratus means layered uh, and that's used in um, uh, geology as well isn't it uh, you know for the layers of rock um, cumulus means heaped or piled up um, and the, then there's classifications of cumulus humulus cumulus mediocris you know, and so on and so forth, up to cumulonimbus. And then there's the prefix alto, which means uh, mid-level. So you can stick alto in front of alto stratus and alto cumulus, and it just means it's higher up than uh, than the stratus and cumulus on on their own. And then the cirrus, which means hair-like. Hook, hook of hair. That's hook of hair is yes. okay, yeah. So, and then, as you say, the, these can all be combined. So I think when I was doing weather observations, there was... Um, there was 39 different types of classification of cloud. 40 if you, cl- if you include clear skies. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, 39. It's different. kind of zero of cloud work. I think Altacumulus Type 7 was my favourite because that was um, a cloud of a chaotic sky. So there was just too much going on. <laughs> that you, could, you couldn't actually, yeah, oh yeah, just chaotic sky. But yeah, is there such a thing as Cloud 9? There is. That's a cumulonimbus. Uh, is um, cumulus type nine. So it's one of the strange clouds in that uh, the classification in that it's all layers because a cumulonimbus is such a large cloud. It starts at you know what we call the the, the lower layer of uh, of clouds, so up to about six and a half thousand feet, but it'll extend right up to the tropopause. Which can be, you know, in you know, especially in the in the tropics, can be thirty thousand feet high, you know, and that one cloud goes right the way through all the different layers. So it's quite special, cumulus type nine. And it should be said, I mean, yeah, there, there's all these cloud classifications, and the World Meteorological Organization sort of documents all of these in the International Cloud Atlas, doesn't it? And but we're still finding new types of cloud. I mean, Luke Howard started off something, you know. M- Many, many years ago now that just is, is still growing and is still an active discipline, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, well, the, the Cloud Appreciation Society, which is a group that I'm happy to uh, say that I'm a member of, um, they, they actually got uh, Asperatus, which is the latest... Uh, that's a Harry Potter spell, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's the latest classification of cloud, and, and they campaign to get this very specific wave-like cloud um, classified, and, and they managed it. So you can thank Gavin Preta Pinney for that in the Cloud Appreciation Society. And it's interesting that following, you can, you know, Asperatus, they've taken the Latinized ending there of a word, you know, just fitting right back into that classification that Luke Howard started with. Um, so I think, you know, can, can I take it that we're all going to vote Howard into the Hall of Fame? Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Namer of Clouds and the fa- uh, fa- Father of Meteorology is in. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Um, as ever, please do feel free to leave us reviews on iTunes. Tweet us your questions at... at 
MW underscore podcast. Um, if you want Jeff to give you the other 32 cloud names, just let him know. I'm um, more than willing. <laughs> How do we tweet you for that then, Jeff? That's at Jeff N. Brown. Okay, I, I think, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Claire, what's your uh, No, I'm at Claire S. Whitton, but don't ask me any of the other cloud types. And Doug? And I'm at Doug McNeil. Um, and you'll find loads more information on the show notes um, on the Met Office website, metoffice.gov.uk forward slash mostly hyphen weather. And thanks for listening. Thank you.